Today on the B2B Power Hour, I'll be talking to Florin Tatulia, Director of Sales Development at Plato. Florin, I love your style of posting from the trenches to actually show SDRs and BDRs how it's really done. And even too, like you even show how you're refining your campaigns and that it's not, you know, this perfect picture, this highlight reel. You're keeping it really real and it's refreshing. So thank you. <laughs> yeah, you're welcome. I think it's uh, honestly one of the reasons that I think my content tends to stick um, quite a bit with with people. And at the end of the day, like it's never about like followers and, and likes and all that kind of stuff. The thing that I love and keep seeing me going is like here and there, people reach out and they're like, hey, like you've helped me, you know, land a job or you've helped me, you know, book these extra meetings. I've like, I've hit my quota. And actually funny enough, one of the the first BDR that I hired at, at Play-Doh he was somebody that reached out to me last year. He was like, Florin, like your advice helped me hit like 700% quota this uh, December. It was like last year. And that's the kind of stuff that I love. And we kept in touch and funny enough, uh, we're working together now. 700% to quota. Holy crap. Okay. Okay. So now you've set this up. I have to ask. So why is it that so many SDRs are struggling to book consistent meetings and exceed quota at like 700% is a lot, but even just, 125 150 consistently yeah it's honestly like it's a number of different things but if i was to like pinpoint uh maybe like a few Mm -hmm. so i think one generally it's like a mindset thing i think people think that uh like sales development is like this like crazy like you have to be super tactical and super knowledgeable of sales but one thing i realized is that like if you don't have the the proper like mentality in place to prospect, prospecting is a mentality is like the best way that I could put it. And what I mean by that is like a true discipline around like, how are you setting up your day? Um, mm. When when are you calling? Like when are you emailing? When are you actually focusing on researching accounts and being very deliberate and only doing one of those things at any given time? And I tend to find that not a lot of SDRs have... Um, a deliberate strategy. Like you're going into a week being like, this is my goal and this is how I'm going to break down every day to actually get to my goal. I tend to find that most SDRs kind of just go into a day, like you wake up, you're like, okay, I have 50, like I have 50 tasks in outreach or sales loft that I have to do. Um, uh, I guess I have to like, you know, reach out to 50 contacts because my company told me to do that. But no one is like doing the one thing I call like backwards math, for example. It's like finding to hit my quota of 10 this month, that means that if there's four weeks in a month, I have to hit like, let's say, you know, three every week. So to hit three, what are the metrics that I need to do to get to three and break that down per day and be like, okay, it has to be 50 calls. It has to be 50 emails and I have to reach out to 30 contacts while maintaining my conversion rates. It's like people let their days take control of them and you don't, people don't take control of their days. And that's like, they're like on for the ride. Yeah. Like it's like, people are just on for, for the ride and just like doing what, uh, you know, the company tells you to do. It's like, you have to change that around and know that you are in the business of booking meetings and you are the business owner. So you need to like figure out, uh, how you're going to do that and take accountability for that. Uh, Own it. And then once you, like one thing I see you post about all the times you look, you even tell people how you're dialing it in and refining it. But I think maybe what we should do then is 
how would you set up your day? So if you have a brand new SDR that's starting and you're like, here's your template to start with, and then you need to build from there. Yeah. So th there's a few things I would do, but th the first thing I always like talk about is calendar management and time blocking. I think it's extremely important that uh, you're doing as little context switching as possible. And I, I, I think Elon Musk said this one time, but he's like the biggest killer of productivity is context switching, which means that like you're moving from task to task to task without ever getting it, getting a rhythm or hitting a flow state. So that's where time blocking comes into play. So, uh, the first thing I would do when you think about setting up your calendar is if you have access to this data, by the way, uh, and if you have sales law for something like outreach or, you know, sales engagement platforms, you will have access to this. But you, you tend to have heat maps of like, okay, when are people usually picking up? Uh, when are your connect rates the highest? When are you getting most of your replies? And you can also think about it logically. Like if you're reaching out to a DM or like an executive, you know that nine to five, they're most likely in meetings and distracted. So um, naturally the data shows that calling a bit earlier in the morning when executives are getting set up and they're not actually in meetings or towards the end of the days, or for example, like um, one thing we've been doing recently is testing call blocks like for 15 minutes at the end of an hour when people tend to like hop off uh, meetings and are, are in between, right? <laughs> so when I'm time blocking, the first thing I'm looking at is when does it make sense for me to actually be calling? So you say your, your one hour call blocks, let's say it's from like, you know, eight to nine or whatever, 8.30 to 9.30. Um, then maybe you do one tour later on uh, in the day as well. Then you're like, okay, wh when is the time where I'm gonna have the least distractions and I can actually prospect where I'm not getting like Slack messages all the time. Um, I really, I personally like feel like my energy levels, let's say are a little bit lower. So you can just chill out, listen to some music, do some research. And then when you have higher um, energy levels, that's when you're doing like your actual calls as well, coupled with data on uh, when connect rates are, for example. Um, so tend to do like two call blocks during the day have a, like a solid one, one and a half hours of just researching accounts and adding people to your funnel. Then you also wanna have call blocks as well for like emailing. So when are you responding back to emails? When are you writing your new ones? Um, and I, I suggest that as opposed to like a workflow where I notice some SDRs, what they do is like, you'll go on LinkedIn, you'll find a contact, you'll add them into your sales engagement sequence. Then you're gonna write an email, then you're gonna call them right away. And it's like your context switching quite a bit there. You yeah. want to get to the flow of things. And how, how does your week change through like your days change throughout the week? Do you set up like your Monday and your Friday differently than Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, or you just go based on your heat maps and just where you're getting the best results? So I, I think it depends. Like a, a lot of people say a bunch of stuff about how like, you know, Monday mornings are not necessarily the best time to like call and like people are in meetings and their moods off. Uh, I saw a recent uh, uh, report that showed that, yes, like technically, for example, like Thursday tends to be like a slightly better day for responses and connect rates, but it was like minuscule, like one or 2% difference. Like it, it, so it doesn't actually matter. I think it's more important that you have a routine every day you're doing the same thing. 
Um, and I mean, everyone talks about routines, uh, like high performers in, in sports and in business and whatever. It's like the exact same thing here in sales. You just need to set up a daily routine and follow it uh, consistently. And when you're when you're running this routine, how are you building your list? Do you have like almost set it up like a campaign where this is my segment that I'm chasing for the next month? Or what does that look when you look like building your list and then updating it? Yeah, I think this one is also depends on like context and, and the company. Like there, there's obviously companies that have more of like an ABM strategy where SDRs have territories um, and they're given an account list for a quarter. So in that case, it's pretty simple. Like the company's doing that for you. When you're more early stages, like what we're doing now and building out that the the team from scratch, we're, the first thing that I kind of did when I came in was um, I'm looking at data of where are we the most efficient in closing deals and what is the specific, like what are the attributes of those accounts and those personas? So I'll give you an example, like for, for Plato, one of the first things I realized was our deal size was uh, relatively like high in, in the mid-market space, at least compared to SMB. And mid-market and enterprise, the deals right now tend to be relatively similar in size. But the win rate in mid-market is significantly higher and the, the sales cycle is significantly shorter. So right away, looking at that, we're like, okay, it seems like the sweet spot for us is going to be mid-market accounts and then run a report on like our customers and be like, okay, B2B, SaaS, companies within 250 and 1,000 uh, employees in uh, you know the US or whatever. So that If you do like a simple sales navigator search or you zoom in for whatever list you're using, that's already like probably a few thousand accounts uh, easy. And uh, that, that's going to last you for quite a while. And do you, when you're doing this research, do you dive a little bit deeper into the filters that you're using on your sales intelligence tool? One of the, I was talking to James Buckley and a few others, and we were doing a, doing some research on how many filters top performers were using versus bottom performers. Mm -hmm. And we found out that they were, bottom performers used four or less. Top performers were using eight to 20. <laughs> And, and that actually goes back to deeply understanding like your ICP and the, the, the core attributes of what makes a, a top customer for you. And I don't think that's just on the SDR. I think that's on like the sales, like organization as a whole to truly understand that. So yes, hundred percent need, you need to use uh, different filters. Uh, for example, like one that we're using at, at Plato is, um, like companies in the B2B mid-market space that are have engineering teams that are growing at more than 20% uh, on an annual basis. So that, that's just one filter. But we've, we've seen that companies that are tend to be growing really quickly uh, or their engineering orgs are growing really quickly tend to uh, have more competition when it comes to like uh, their talent. So they tend to have, uh, you know, issues with like hiring and retaining really good people because every company's coming for their reps. We sell like a, a mentorship platform that kind of helps with retention and helps like develop their employees internally. So that's one trigger automatically that we know those types of companies are going to be better than a, a low growth company that, um, you know, probably doesn't have the same amount of like competition when you think about like, you know, Facebook and Google trying to poach your engineers. Makes sense. Um, other big filters, it's like people that have changed job in the last 90 days, right? Like you want to look at decision makers that are kind of coming in and 
that's when people tend to buy like buy software, try to change some systems after they've done a little bit of, of a diagnosis on what needs to change. So uh, yeah, hundred percent, like multiple filters all the time. You need to narrow down and get, especially like in the early days when you have such a green field, like right now, there's probably a million accounts that should use Play-Doh, but you, you, it's all about focus. Like if you, you have a BDR, you have to be like, okay, I can't just give you a million accounts. You don't know where to go. We need to narrow it down to maybe like a hundred that you need to focus on for a month, let's say. Yeah, then you have the same conversations over and over and over. That was the biggest thing I noticed is when I worked for companies that gave me this really big list and there was no real rhyme and rhythm to why. And then I had companies that gave me really nice, like 50 to 100 accounts that were very tight segmentation. And it was it was fun. Because after about, you know, 20, working about 20 accounts, 10 to 20 accounts, you heard the same conversation over and over. Hey, you know, I've been talking to, you know, sales leaders, they've been saying this. Yeah, actually, we we do have that problem. It's like, yeah, I know, because I just talked to 20 other people that told me the same thing. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But I, I feel like SDRs don't realize just how much market research they're doing. But if they, only if they put themselves in a straight shot, right? You're scattering everywhere. You don't learn. Yeah, exactly. Like Kevin Dorsey literally made a post today, which uh, I've always been preaching to my people too. And I've said this already, um, but it, it's about focus. And like one of my learnings that goes back to focus is actually around like onboarding. I, you almost like tend to want to over onboard people. You're like, I want to tell you everything. And this is exactly how you need to do like everything. And do you just have a ton of information and, and you're providing that to your BDRs and it, it's information overload. One thing that I've started learning more as I'm like managing teams over time and onboarding and, and changing programs is you almost want to keep it more simple. It's like, Hey, listen, today we're going to focus on ICPs. Like let here, here's a few very important things you need to know about our ICP and their attributes. You don't need to know, like, you know, over time, there's going to be little minute details that you're going to figure out, but that's stuff that needs to be done in the field. You don't want to bombard people in the beginning. You need to let them focus on a few key things. Yeah, that makes sense. And do you work on scripting? Do you give them frameworks? What are some of the things, the, the basic tools that SDR should have? Yeah. Uh, I'm a big believer in frameworks over scripts uh, or, or templates. And I'll tell you why, because uh, the, the problem if you give people like direct templates and actual scripts to follow, it's like people are no longer thinking for themselves. And that's one of the most important things. I, and I, I truly believe that like sales is, um, it, it realistically, at least sales development and business development, I think is about 80% like science and 20% like art. Um, but that art part is like where people like differentiate themselves, right? So the science part is like, I know my numbers, like if I need 10 meetings to happen, like, and my conversion rate is this, I need to reach out to whatever, a thousand people. And like, it's, it's just straightforward. But um, the art part of it is like, um, you know, how, how are you personalizing? Like, how are you, uh, how are you making sure that on the phone, regardless of like what they're telling you, you're actually a human being and you're having a, a conversation, right? So um, having a framework enables people to like be more uh, creative and, and leverage that the art side uh, of things. So for emails, we have, a, I have a framework. I have a four sentence framework. I don't even write exactly like what they need to say. It's more just like sentence one is, you need to 
explain the context for why you're reaching out with some kind of initial trigger. So for example, for us, if the trigger is that their engineering team doubled in the last year, it's like, hey, notice your engineering team doubled in the last year. That's the first sentence, it's context. Next sentence is the highlighting the problem. Like what's the problem with the way that they're doing things today in the current state? Sentence three, uh, what does the ideal world or the future look like? And that's like your pitch. And then sentence four, I put interest-based CTA. So that's like my general framework, but I'm not telling you exactly what to do, just like some guidelines so that you can still be yourself uh, as well. What are your thoughts on adding, I've seen a lot of people add social proof into that. So instead of the ideal state, they'll highlight the problem of current state, add social proof. Hey, we did this for so-and-so interested. Yeah, I'm a big believer in that. I actually include social proof in the ideal state. So it'll usually be like, um, you know, we helped like whatever zoom info, uh, do X. And then we are kind of pitching the ideal state through social proof. One of the questions I get all the time for is personalization. How much is enough? How much is too much? So do you have different, when you're prospecting, how deep do you go? How do you know when you've done enough? So I, I want to call it an, an important distinction between uh, personalization and I, I, relevance. I think it's more important to be relevant in your messaging. So that means it's like you're reaching out to someone and uh, you're showing them that you understand their world and their problems and why right now is the right time for you to be reaching out. It's like you're provoking the cost of, uh, of, of inaction, right? Yeah. Yeah. So that's, um, and sorry, what was the question again? We were talking about, uh, oh shoot. That's gone for me too. <laughs> Relevant, uh, oh, oh, prospecting, prospecting. How much is enough? Yeah. Sorry. I, I went on a little <laughs> bit of a tangent there. It's okay. Um, so Essentially, what, I, what I'm trying to say that it's more important to be, to be relevant. So with personalization, what I what I realize a lot of people try to like bring in personalization into like some kind of a metaphor. Like if you're really going above and beyond and you're like, I know this person likes marathon, so I'm going to try to explain how my solution is uh, through an analogy like running a marathon or something. And you end up writing for like 20 minutes and it's just like, okay, cool. That's awesome. But it's not uh, that's not scalable over time. And you don't even know if that person is ultimately going to respond. So my, my whole con what I like to do with personalization is I, the, the email itself, the body is uh, relevant to the problem. I'm not including much personalization there apart from maybe calling out some direct reports or something that's very relevant to that problem and how we can help. I actually use the PS statement, uh, in an email. And if, if I notice something about them, like, you know, an interesting city that they're from a hobby that they have or something they called out on Twitter. Uh, I'll just like separately in the PS call it out in one sentence uh, as opposed to writing it in the actual uh, email. So I, I do strongly believe though that you should have, um, you need to take about five minutes to do a bit of research on a, a person and, and put something in that first email that shows that that email is specifically directed to them and there's no doubts about that. That can't be an email for somebody else either. Then later on in your sequence, you can have a few like uh, 
you know, value add emails. You can have a few like uh, bump up emails to remind them of certain things that can be automated with not a lot of personalization. But in a sequence, one or two emails should always have at least some research. So like right now with what you're doing at Plato, like what would be, so if you're, somebody gave you a list of 50 or hundred accounts, what would you look for and, and then hit, be comfortable hitting the trigger on send? Yeah. So if I was looking at an account, so right now what we're doing, so like, let's say I'm reaching out to VPs of engineering where I'm specifically looking to, uh, help some of their newer engineering managers, uh, and providing them with like some, some mentorship and coaching, uh, programs. So if I'm looking at an account, I'm going to go find the VP of engineering. I'm going to go find the, the two newest engineering managers by name, uh, in my subject line, I'm going to put, uh, I'm specifically going to call out the, the engineering manager's name so that it sparks curiosity. That's a very relevant email to them. So I'm doing like mentorship for, you know, let's say Nicholas and, uh, Bob. So that VP of engineering looks at that email, recognizes the names cause it's his direct reports, his or her direct reports. Then, uh, I'm looking to see based off my LinkedIn filters, I already know that the engineering team is growing significantly. So then I'm going to call that out specifically based off of what sales nav tells me, uh, the increase in the engineering team has been. So like, Hey, your engineering team has doubled in the last year. And then I'm going to name drop. I'm going to be like, Hey, like retention is actually a very big problem right now. Uh, new managers, um, you know, don't tend to have very adequate management training and they usually learn best from mentors that are one or two steps ahead of them. And then I'll ask a thought provoking question. Like, you know, out of curiosity, how are you thinking about developing these new managers like Nicholas and Bob? Uh, and then another sentence that's like social proof being like, well, we helped, you know, uh, X company kind of reduce retention by this amount through our mentorship program. So yeah, a few pieces of, of information that I can find very quickly. I like it, Florin, because what you what I'm hearing is you took that problem statement, dissected it into what it looks like in real life and then found it. So, you know, they're growing fast. Well, who, who is that person? Put a name to that, that growth. Perfect. Okay. Who owns that PNL of that growth? Perfect. That's who you're sending it to because you're going top down. And then now you're just stating your observations. So yeah, if you would have said that to anyone else, it'd have been like, what the hell? This is <laughs> not relevant to me. But this is why such a, I think a problem statement is so key, whether you write it or the company writes it, because if you can't dissect it and do this, I think this is where a lot of prospecting and outreach falls apart because there's no substance. Exactly. And that's my other problem with like, sometimes people, you'll get replies with personalization. It's like, Hey, like you went to X school or like notice you like golf. And then it's almost like there's no transition sentence. It's like, anyways, well, this is what we do. And there's, it doesn't tie anything. Or like you have, don't get me wrong. I'm not hating on like, you know, gifting platforms and stuff, but it's like, or, or like gift card campaigns. I've done that in the past too, but you tend to find those people never buy because like they're incentivized by like, you know, uh, some kind of gift or the gift card or, or whatever, but you're not addressing like the, the relevant problem in the real business need. Sure. You might get a meeting, but it's not going anywhere. So it's like, at the end of the day, the BDR's job, yes, is to book meetings, but it's for you to book meetings at close. That's like the ROI of a BDR, not just booking meetings. So Florin, 
as being out in the trenches. How do you know as a person out in the trenches, maybe your problem statement's a little off and it's not just your prospecting? <laughs> uh it's it's hard to say. It's 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 a constant A B test. And like that that is the main thing. So now like being three months in, it's like the last three months, all we've been doing is A B testing different problem statements. I'm like interviewing VPs of engineering, the ones internally, the head of engineering at Plato. I'm talking to my old uh, engineering leaders. I'm like, what do you think about on a daily basis? What's the biggest problem for you? And this, this, these are not sales meetings. This is me just like gathering information. And it's like me testing out multiple different problem statements in my first emails and then letting them run for a few hundred uh, open and uh, deliveries, sorry. And then just like, okay, what is clicking? What, what what are people opening? What are people replying to? And it's like a constant battle of A-B testing over time to make sure that as, uh, you know, industries are shifting, problems change over over the years for departments and teams. Uh, what What is that going to be? We've kind of nailed down. I, I, I Most engineering leaders I speak to right now, hiring retention is like the number one problem for absolutely everybody. So it's like our messaging needs to mold to like, if we can solve for that, should be based off of the problem statement of, of retention. I love it. Now, question. When we're talking about doing this updating and refinement and pivots, who should own that? Would you think you as the manager should own that? Or should it be a shared between the manager and the rep? Uh I'm I'm a big believer that you need to like let your, you know, your team be involved in that. Uh, once the team matures more than what I did at our previous company where we had over 20 BDRs um, and we had sales enablement and all that support, we actually introduced uh, a sequence committee. So uh, it's a quarterly sequence committee that uh, pertains or involves the, the SDR manager. We used to have like uh, some kind of like sales enablement or ops person there. That's like good with data. Uh, a few BDRs or SDRs and they would meet pretty much at the end of the quarter, they would meet and then uh, there'd be like an hour session where it's like, you know, what's, what's been the general feedback from, you know, the, the managers, what are your thoughts, enablement based off data? What are your thoughts? BDRs, you're in the trenches. What are you seeing that's working, not working? And we have like a, a session. And then after that hour session, like we're actually doing the revisions and doing some feedback over a week period. And then we're releasing a new updated sequence with some new AB tests and then letting that run for a quarter. And we're iterate, we used to iterate on a quarterly basis with that sequence committee. So I think everyone should be the owner. I don't believe that it should just be the manager or just the BDRs or just enablement and ops. I love that. I, some of the top companies that I've interviewed, I've noticed that they either do win-loss analysis or they're they're digging into the closed loss. They're doing some type of digging to go and unearth what's not being said or what, what got missed. I've never heard of anybody doing a sequence committee and that's amazing. But you said that everybody should own it. So now I'm curious, what should fall on the manager's shoulders? Um, well, I think naturally like coaching and, and guiding and, and mentorship, like, uh, this also depends on how complex your organization is. Like what, what's going to fall on my shoulders being like the only person when I don't have ops and enablement and stuff, I think is going to be a little bit different, but mm -hmm. 
But naturally speaking, like let's say at a company that's smaller, like onboarding, making sure that like reps are getting onboarded properly and re ramping on time and everything, uh, guiding and, and mentoring. So like providing them with, um, you know, insights, it's like, Hey, listen, like based off of your conversions, it looks like this is working. This is not, or your activity is not where it should be, or you need to focus more on quality and like providing those types of, of insights, call coaching, role plays, continuous training, that stuff is what needs to lie on the manager's plate. In addition to like compensation and like career pathing and all that stuff. I love it. Yeah, it is nice when you get uh, get to the bigger companies and you can kind of spread out the workload. I've heard of companies now with enablement, getting them to do like certificate programs. And it's it's interesting to see how from when I started, because we had a sales manager, <laughs> we reported to that sales manager and that was it. Go call. Yeah. I think one of my big learnings looking back, uh, you always need enablement uh, earlier than you probably think you do. And actually specifically like SDR enablement. I remember like a few years in, uh, we ended up promoting one of our top um, SDRs at my previous company, Lupio, into an SDR enablement role. Her name was Nicole and she was fantastic. But it's like the amount of things that like that person can can do for your team is like insane, especially if they have direct experience in the trenches. So like taking care of onboarding because they know like what they needed to do to get really good in, in the role. Um, you know, potential training, like implementations of different softwares and upkeep keep of things like outreach so that your managers, especially like the general threshold for management, it's like eight reps is kind of like, I don't recommend going above eight reps per manager because it's very difficult to handle that in terms of like, imagine like eight one-on-ones every week. Um, people are always like asking you for different things. You need to think about like building out new programs and all that stuff. So, uh, I would actually recommend it. Once you start passing like 10 SDRs or BDRs, I would very strongly consider an enablement role specifically for SDRs. Yeah, I, I actually, funny enough, just did this search on SalesNav yesterday and uh, I left industry open. All I wrote was a uh, Boolean search for SDR enablement. Guess guess how many people came back? In uh, what, in all of this, in America or where? No, everywhere, the entire world. Uh, 500 less 18. Really? That's crazy. The, just the, like the actual, like hard search for SDR enablement. Yeah. 18. Wow. Yeah. I mean, uh, I can't say I'm like, I'm, I'm relatively surprised, but it's definitely not a very popular role, but, uh, I think it's an extremely important one that more and more teams are going to start seeing. One of the questions I've been asked recently, and I've been pondering on this, what is the difference between SDR enablement and sales enablement? If you had to go and pick, like to draw that line in the sand. Well, so SDR enablement falls under sales enablement. The, the thing with sales enablement, and I've kind of noticed this, is if you only have a sales enablement person, naturally, they tend to lean towards the AEs. And it's a more complex, like... Um, it's more complex, like the whole uh, operations of account executives in terms of like, especially if you have more complex sale, the amount of things that happen, you have you have to worry about like like the RFP process, like proposals, quoting, uh, negotiations, training around like 
uh, different systems. Uh, and if you only have one person and they're not designated specific to the SDR org, the SDR org tends to take a back seat to enablement. So you have to be intentional, intentional about creating this SDR enablement role um, so that you actually have somebody focusing on SDR onboarding. Um, how are we finding accounts for people, territory planning, commissions and like incentives, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I noticed the same thing. Just I've actually been doing interviews of sales enablement and I haven't just because SDR enablement has been something new that just hit my radar. Uh, sales enablement almost always starts at mid funnel. Yeah. And funny enough, like Pareto's law, 80% of it's on further down the funnel to almost like negotiation part. Like, okay, what, how do I support the demo? How do I, how do I close the deal and write it up fast? And that's kind of it. Yeah, exactly what I'm saying. So, um, that's why at the last company we were like very intentional, intentional about making sure that it was like, okay, we need someone focusing on more top of funnel activities, uh, with, with SDRs. And kind of to wrap up this whole part about like managing your high performance teams, how do you hold people accountable to their system? Kind of tying it right back to the start where we were talking about like reversing your, doing the, the reverse math and like figuring out your day. How do you hold people accountable to building that system themselves? I think one of the most important things you can do in the very beginning is like, and, and I usually try to do this in one of my first one-on-ones, but it's like, you know, apart from work and everything, it's like, you know, wh why are you like, why are you in sales? Like, what are you looking to achieve? Understanding like who they are and ultimately what their why is. Mm -hmm. Because if you can actually get down to the real why behind why people are doing things and why they want to be successful. Um, and that can be different things for different people. Some people it's like, I want to save up and like buy a house for other people. It's like, I want to become an account executive in two years. Uh, if you understand that why you can, if someone is, for example, underperforming, you can always as a manager go back to be like, Hey, listen, like you told me, um, you know, when we, we first talked that you were, you wanted to like, uh, save up and buy a house by, you know, 2024. Um, how do you think like you're based off of your performance so far? Like how, how do you think like you're, you're, um, do you feel like you're on track for that goal? And then it's like, when you bring it back to the why, and then you let people kind of tell you themselves, like, uh, you know, where they are and like why they're not performing. So I always ask them, but I never tell people like, Hey, you're not performing. Be like, Hey, like, um, you know, last week you, you, you did this. Like, how do you feel about that? Do you feel like you're, you're hitting your goals and like people naturally will we'll start opening up and then you just need to hold them accountable to their main why and being like, Hey, listen, you just told me that you're not happy with where you are and that you're not going to get to your goal, uh, within that, the two year period, like, what do you think needs to change about your process or how you're doing things today? And that's more powerful than just telling people like, oh, like you're gonna, you know, you're gonna get fired or you're gonna go on a pip. Uh, Cause that, that's just like a fear tactic. If I would have had a manager take that approach with me, I can't even imagine how that would have changed my career. Because I had to go and basically figure out my own motivation, figure out my own goals, reverse engineer, read books to go and figure this out. But having a manager that holds you accountable to being a better you, <laughs> holy crap. Yeah. And it's also, it's also easier to hold people accountable when they sometimes see you in the trenches. And that's why 
like, don't get me wrong. Once you're like a director and you, let's say you have 30 reports and like, you're not, you're at a big organization. I fully understand that there's not a lot of time to be in the trenches, but especially for me right now, like having four or five, like start about to be six BDRs. I think it's important that my team is seeing me in the trenches so that it's like, Hey, listen, I'm not just telling you to do something. Uh, like I'm doing it myself. I'm coming to our call reviews. I'm get, I'm providing cold call recordings of me, like not like failing and getting shut down and not booking meetings. And it's like, if I, and I, in our weekly goal meeting on Monday, I'm literally, I, I come to the meeting. I'm like, my goal this week is even if I'm not booking, I'll be like, I'm booking two or three demos this week, let's say. And I'm holding myself accountable in our Friday's weekend meeting. If I hit my goal or if I didn't hit my goal, like I, I'm, I'm right there with them in providing my goals and like holding myself accountable, which makes it easier for me to hold them accountable. And see, this is why you're an incredible manager. <laughs> like, what more needs to be said? Like, wow, talk about, you know, leading by example. Yeah, well, it's always, it's like that thing. It's like, I'm not the, I feel like a boss is, uh, you know, the person that's like in the the chariot, kind of like whipping the horses and stuff. Oh, yeah. But for me, I'm like, I'm the, I'm the front horse, like kind of like making sure that I'm uh, I'm pulling along with, with them. That's amazing. That really is amazing. That is something I do not hear very often on this show. So, wow. Okay. So now, the spirit of the power hour, Florin. You have to have the most productive hour of your entire day. How are you going to invest that hour? Uh, is this specifically for cold calling? You could either make it to your role or we could even just make it to the SDR. Yeah, I think um, probably like the, the, what's the best way I would do? Sorry, I'm just, I'm just trying to understand. It's okay. I was, I was, if you even want to talk through it, we can. I want people to hear how you prioritize. And I like hearing people say, like walk through or what questions they ask when I ask this question too. Like if you had to book meetings, it would change. If you had to do prospecting, it would change. So maybe as an SDR that uh, is a little low on quota right now, what would be, how would you tell them to go and have the most productive hour of their day? So um, I think it goes back to being very, very intentional and like, I would almost spend like the first like 10 minutes actually like planning through things. It's kind of like that saying, um, if I need to like cut down like a tree, like as quickly as possible, it's like, I would spend most of my time sharpening the ax as opposed to like, you know, uh, hitting at the tree. So I think the most productive hour is about being intentional with like, what is your goal? Like, what are you trying to achieve in this hour? And it could be as simple as like th this hour, I want to add 50 contacts or uh, I want to book two meetings uh, off my cold calls. So that that's like step one. Then it's like just straight up making sure that you're eliminating distractions. Like I love Slack and these kinds of things, but they can become very big distractions. It, disable notifications, take your phone, put it upside down, turn off notifications there as well. Uh, if you're good at prospect, maybe play some music that you know naturally like gets you into the zone. Um, if you're going to cold call, like a big thing that I do, it's like you want to get your energy up. If you have a standing desk, I 
I make sure I'm outstanding for my calls. Uh, I'm pumped like a couple of pump up songs before you actually make them. So I, I think it depends on what you want to do in that hour, but you always want to plan, always want to make sure that you're like limiting distractions. And if it's a, it's going to be a high energy hour, like cold calling, for example, you want to make sure that like, like physically, um, you know, you're like inviting good energy and making sure that like you're, you're standing like tall shoulders back, uh, to be a bit of a, like a, a metaphor, but literally as well and, and ready to go. I have to ask. What is your pump up song? What is your go to <laughs> pump up song? I'm like I'm a pretty big EDM guy for pump up songs. Um, I, if I had to have like like I have my playlists on uh, on Spotify, like I, I I'm not a big like I have one song guy. I'm like certain playlists, uh, but like big song like Levels by Avicii, like is obviously like a huge one. Uh, the Tomorrowland 2012 after movie uh, on YouTube is like a, a big, big pump up 20 minutes for me. Um, yeah. Nice. I like uh, David Guetta, Work Harder. That, that's, a, that's a good one as well. It just, yeah. I, one, of, one of my managers used to play uh, Every Day I'm Hustling, just the first like intro to our Monday morning meetings. Yeah, every day. yeah that's a good one. Darude uh, Sandstorm by Darude. That's like another absolute banger. I love those too because there's not as much lyrics. You don't. You can just like get pumped and go. They even good workout music too. Yeah, you just like focus. Just uh, might have to listen to those songs for my workout later. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you'll have to go and you'll have to go and share if it's on Spotify. You'll have to share that list with me. Yeah, for sure. I'll throw it in the show notes for you guys. Okay. Now this is the kind of the final section where I throw the mic to you. Do you have any questions you'd like to ask me? Um. Well, I'm kind of curious, like, what is, uh, actually, here's a good question for you. You speak with a lot of different people. What, what do you feel like is the kind of the future of like of sales development of SDR, BDR kind of thing? It's always something I'm thinking about. You want to think like five, 10 years out. I don't spend a ton of time on it, but do you think like the, the rule is going to exist? Do you think it's going to change in any like significant way? Great question. This has been definitely top of mind. I think that we're going to turn into community managers. And remember, I, I go back to my road warrior days where I look at the people that were running grid, like running their territory and how they'd build their routes. And the people that just showed up struggled. But the people that slowly worked their way into the community and became one with the communities that they were in you, nobody could touch them. Not only did no competition had a chance, but they grew their account list so fast and also got the recurring too. And this is from my insurance days. And I think about that now when you look at like uh, what Will Aiken's doing, uh, Evan, and they're content creators with a purpose. And they're also pulling people together in a community. And I think that's going to be the future of the SDR BDR is community managers on social and then there's going to be an enterprise will be separate because i think a lot of people underestimate how strategic enterprise sales is you can't just show up and it be good enough 100 <laughs> percent. yeah it's, it's extremely complex that, that's that's actually very interesting and when you think like the community magic a community of like your prospects and like your customers is that what you're referring to 
yeah, representing the company. But you know, when you like you, when a rep gets it, they own their voice. They have their own voice with cold calls. They have their own tone and emails. They own it. It's their own personality. So I think the hardest part is going to be for companies not to go and like put a you know put a jersey on them and own them. But how do you let people be naturally themselves, but be like brand advocates or like community leaders that they're pulling people towards your brand through how they are on social media or on Slack or these other digital channels and communities without making them scripted? Because I could I could see that going very badly. Yeah, <laughs> I think that that all like definitely makes sense. But do you think like the they're still going to be prospecting like, and that's going to stay? But I think what I think it's going to go from is it's not going to be persona; it's going to be pain. And so I see this a lot with companies that you were talking about onboarding. They have really good intent software, but they don't explain why the intent matters. So somebody downloads an ebook and they call them like, "Hey, you downloaded this ebook," and like it just doesn't match the intent of where they were. But I'm seeing now companies do like what you were doing with, okay, I've seen you growing at 20%, but you know why that matters. And that that's like, if a doctor could call me when I was sick because they could see the symptoms because of my watch I'm wearing or something, like that's incredible. That could save me so much pain, you know, opportunity cost. But I think that's the future of sales is knowing your customers so deeply that you see the signs and symptoms before they know it's a problem and reach out in a time that matters. So no, I don't think it'll ever go away. It's just going to be, I don't know, smarter is not the right word, but you know, there's going to be more thought put into it. Yeah, no, that, that makes a lot of sense. Well, even now it's like we're, we have, you know, in, intent tools, you have a Zoom Info intent that we're using. We also have like um, uh, another startup we're working with, the co-founders are good friends with that is looking like at, at an intent but you're right. It does like the intent doesn't provide you with like deep context, but that's where like, that's what sales is. And I think John Barrow says this best is like sales is marketing, like with context, like you're providing the context as to why you should care or why that actually matters. Um, and a lot of people that, you know, are kind of hating on like the SDRB or well, like don't, don't understand that. And a lot of SDR teams, like that's why they kind of have a bad name because they're not uh, they're not providing that extra context. They're just essentially being like marketing spam. And th this is bad training. Honestly, I've had good training. I've had bad training and I've had everything in between. And the teams that I've worked with that we had great onboarding and great training, we honestly kicked ass. And I wish I would have had a manager like you because that would have changed my entire career having somebody that actually cared about me too. But like, even like, how many, I think the future too is marketing and sales need to talk and sales needs to tell marketing what they're hearing and CS needs to tell everybody who they don't want to work with. <laughs> like all come together so that you're getting smarter with each outreach. Exactly. I 100% I agree with you on that. Well, thank you, Florin. I really appreciate you diving into a lot of the SDR role and management with us. And I, we're going to have to do this again. This was a lot of fun. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks, Nicholas. I always appreciate it. Like, you know, your, your voice for the SDRs and, and BRs out there. I'm very passionate about it. If anybody doesn't follow me, follow me on LinkedIn. I'm going to continue to be in the trenches and try to provide real advice uh, and 
and not any type of fluff. So I'm, I'm looking forward to it. And other than LinkedIn, is there anywhere else that people could connect and uh, follow you? Uh, on Twitter as well. I'm trying to start posting more on Twitter. I, I don't have a big following there or anything, but uh, yeah, Twitter, Florent Tatulia as well. Okay, guys, go follow Florin. And if you need help, go in, I'll put him put his information in the show notes. And as always, thanks everyone for joining us. Have a great day. Thank you. Take care, Florin. Take care. Did you love today's episode? Subscribe now to have our three weekly episodes waiting for you. And if you really like our content, please leave a five-star review. But if you're not ready to give us a review, check out another episode and follow us on LinkedIn. We'd love to win you over. See you next time. See you next time.